Brain Candy Podcast. I am your host, Susie Meister. Oh, that's it. <laughs> Susie Meister. Meister. We're starting to sound professional around here. Except me. I'm Sarah <laughs> As per usual. <laughs> uh, Unprofessional, as always. That's true. And I don't remember when this is going to air, but you might, may or may not be away. I'm not sure. Oh. I think you might. <laughs> if I am, then greetings from vacation. If not, then greetings from my couch. Yeah, where are you going? Peru. Peru. Yeah. Yeah. So you'll speak Spanish a little bit? Yes. No. I'm. I mean, my Spanish is muy mal. <laughs> well, maybe you'll pick it up. But I do know mi español es muy mal, which has <laughs> right. been enough That's to get you... around. <laughs> right. Uh, today we're going to talk about well, being muy mal a little bit. Oh, gosh, we're talking about morality, way. yeah, and ethics and naughty biz. I read a book uh, called Behaving Badly by Eden Collinsworth, and I chose it for our book club. If you're not in our book club, you should join. What the heck you're thinking? Get in there. Right. It's a laugh a minute, I'll tell you. <laughs> and we usually choose two books. I choose one, Sarah chooses another, and we meet once a month and talk about it, them. And this one was fun because, first of all, let me get the book. Okay, wait. Waiting, waiting, and getting the book. The music she is she's such an amazing okay. author, I should say writer. Oh, that's a beautiful cover. Yeah. Behaving Badly, The New Morality in Politics, Sex, and Business. Uh-huh. Oh. So good. And um, I have not read this, I should say. Yeah. So I just, there are yeah. different things in the book that like got my wheels turning and so i wanted to ask you about them and we'll see what you thought i'm excited because it's like it's murky waters morality in general yeah yes obviously because it's different for everybody and also who but why is it that's what i mean why is it different Ooh. right i'm trying to think if it you know there's so much of it that's cultural that's like uh Yeah, like created culturally, and then there are things like social construct. Yes, thank you. That's the exact term I was looking for. Social construct. But then (laughs) there are things that are just in us. But then you have to ask: Are they like what you know? When you have those chimpanzees, chimpanzees who murder each other, (laughs) right? Yeah, like you know they have those rings that Jane Goodall like Mm. recognized, where they they. They're border patrols, essentially. Like, they send out the young guys on these border patrols, and if anybody else comes in their territory, like, they'll kill them, or if anybody... You know, so that we do see m- murder in mm-hmm. the animal kingdom. So sure. that's a thing. That's, like, a moral... Right. ...thing, or whatever, value, whatever you want to call it, that ha- that I can imagine is... But it's still bad. Like, they, I think they even recognize, the monkeys even recognize that that was a... Bad wow. ombre. Bad <laughs> ombre. Well, I think, okay, so this was something I had never thought about that my brother said to me. Hmm. He, so a lot of people talk about the golden rule, right? So this is Do like, unto others as you should have them do unto you. You would like, you, yeah. yes. So, you know, that seems more or less straightforward, right? right? Like just treat people the way you would want to be treated. Right. But that's really kind of not straightforward at all once you start unpacking it like what 
Well, for starters, maybe because on I the don't... surface it does sound like oh, <laughs> that's yeah. a good yeah. do that. It's a good rule of thumb, and, and yeah. if you got nothing else, go with that. Right, but. Maybe I don't mind if you treat me like shit. Because technically, the rule of thumb ain't even a good rule of thumb. So <laughs> right, that in that alone right. proves your point. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so let's say maybe I'm like I don't mind if you treat me poorly. Right. So then I treat right. people poorly. Right. <gasps> so then we have that problem, and that's a whole chain. Re- and that is really where systemic issues come from. Some of them. Yes. A then, lot. Of, yes. We have another problem, Damn. which is, so my brother was a, uh, or is a bus driver, mm-hmm. Port Authority oh, bus driver. Yeah. And he was talking about how inevitably you pull up at a bus stop and people get on yeah. and there's like some dude who's going to miss the bus. And you see him in your rearview oh, mirror. Yeah. And he's running. Yeah. And he wants to get on that bus. He does. So you'd think, as the bus driver, well, I would want someone to wait for me, so I should wait and let him get on. But then, you, if you're a passenger mm-hmm. already on the bus, and late you're late for work. for work, you would think, he could think, well, they want to get to work. I would want someone to get me to work on time. Right. So then, the golden rule is not helpful. Oh, gosh. That there's a lot of stuff like that, like sacrifice one to save a whole bunch. Yes. Do you ever hear about the train track? The there's a speeding train that rings a bell going toward. They use this metaphor often in in research studies. Yeah. They'll say like there's a train, like the track is derailed, and you can either sacrifice like one person. You know will die if you like switch the lever one way, and then if you switch the lever the other way, then maybe a you know. It, but in killing Somebody, the one person, it'll save these thirty. Yeah. But then if you don't do it, then maybe there's a chance that they'll die, but you're not sure. Like, do you do you what do you do? Right. What do you do? I gotta let go of that one. I gotta too. <laughs> but you know what? There's like. You don't, because it's like definite. You're like, I'm going to kill. This time, right. no, I'm probably not going to be a serial killer ever. <laughs> right, right. I'm like, eh, I can rest easy at night. No, I'm probably not going to. Although, gonna. yeah, but you're kind of like, just kill that one. <laughs> <laughs> I say it so. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. That's what no, I mean, I is that when that. you start to unpack ethics, that's why there's whole classes and Well, the things scholars. they study is what happens when you change the name of the one man you have to kill. If his name is John Smith, for us, we're more likely to save him than his, if his name were, give me a Middle Muhammad? Eastern name. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. According to studies. This is, it's, and you can do it with any in-group and out-group. Anybody who's on your, in your in-group, yeah. you were going to have, you're going to be more likely well, to save that person than, I mean, that's essentially you know. what you were talking about with the apes, though, is that it's about oh tribalism. Oh, Yeah. Yes. I mean, there's a reason. Damn. <laughs> there's reasons why people do make the decisions they do. And that's it. Look, I write to these serial killers. Right. 
And by the way, have we talked about how I find them easier to talk to than my own folks? (laughs) (laughs) Because I do. I can imagine why. Why? No, I mean, I can't. I'd really like... Tell... I'm more forgiving of them. I'm less irritated. Oh, my God. I find them more interesting. And I'm like, why do I have an easier time talking to Ted Kaczynski than my dad? Oh, my God. But I don't know. I'm sure that, you know... uh, yeah, you could make sense of that. I'm sure. I've never met the man. Right. I'm sure in real life I would hate his guts. Probably. But oh, or get creepy vibes. I get no creepy vibes that. from his handwriting. Yeah. Oh, so I just was... put it away. Yeah. He he is <sighs> so weird, but I, I find And I told the so kids brilliant. in class about that and none like People gave me a look like they didn't believe me. And then I had to show them the picture. actual picture. Oh. <laughs> Thank God I had a picture because I was like, look. And then yeah. we compared it to uh, the guy from the Jinx. Uh, his Robert handwriting. Durst, and same. The, yep. Yeah. And I was like, mm, 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 if that's not creepy, I don't know what is. Yeah. People have talked about it in articles about how, because oh. he writes a lot of people. Yeah. And it's that very there was only one letter that he wrote that was not like that. And it was uh, when he was writing about the passing of a woman he had grown close to in prison that he fell in love with. And that was the only time he was out of control. Creepy. Oh, my God, he was that's being emotional. what it is. It's yeah. out of control. Yeah. And that writing is so in control. Oh, my God. <laughs> Creepy. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what? I, I read oh his God, book. Oh, my God. That's exactly so much restraint. Yeah. And, oh, I can feel it. Yeah. And But he's brilliant. And his ideas are not wrong, a lot of them, except for the murder part. <laughs> I mean, because he, he predicted a lot yeah. of what's happening now. Like what? He talked about how we would be slaves to technology. That mm, was his true. whole problem. Oh and my that he, God. he actually says that he thinks of it as like um, a cult of technology. It, I, it feels Mind like that. Mind control. It does feel like that. You, you hear about kids that can hardly take the SATs now because you can't have your phone next to you and how they can't focus for the test because their phone's like not right in arm's length. Distance? That's terrifying. Yeah. It's become an extension of, there's going to be, that's why, hey, I mean, we're way off topic, but that's why <laughs> cyborgs are a real thing. <laughs> because I don't think a, we are It's off inevitable topic. that that will fuse, that technology, that the line will become more and more blurry. And then I was just watching a thing on Bill Nye Saves the World yesterday with uh, a man who's blind who is developing technology where you, right now, they have it where you can hold up your iPhone to an object, take a picture of it, and your phone goes, that is a picture of a wine glass on the table. And it tells you, based on other images that it searches, and it allows people who are blind to have a more, I don't know, rich view of the world. So he's working right now on how to blend those two, how to create a technology that's wearable, that's, they call, there's a name for it. It's like wearable interface or wearable something. Yeah. But there's like a short, you know, sweet, like, techie name for it that sounds real you know hip and cool right and uh i just think it's inevitable that we're going to be and then when we were talking the other week about the people who have the brain electrodes that help the guy who's paralyzed yeah open and close or you know screw in a light bulb and stuff yeah it's just and then oh god morality then becomes even stranger when you have full access to people's everything to know about all everything about them well, and I, oh. in Behaving Badly, she talks about the thing that I'm, I guarantee you almost everyone listening will ha- know exactly what we mean 
but the 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 anonymity of online uh, life yep. makes us more likely to sext, more mm-hmm. likely to say things via text that we wouldn't say, more likely to say things online that we would not say in person. Obviously, yeah. I mean, and just so, think about the like the porn industry when that went online, right? Imagine if you're somebody who's into something a little kinky, how difficult it was to get your hands on something like that when it was even 30 or 40 years ago. Yeah, like on one hand, you have communities that rise up that validate who you are, like the transgender community. Yes. But then you also have like Uh NAMBA or whatever it is. Uh (laughs) North American Man Boy Love Association. Yeah, NAMBA. Right. Yes. I mean, then they were like, yeah, hey, the Greeks did it. What the heck? You know? So, yeah. one of the examples that she uses is that she goes and, inter- Eden Collinsworth, is that she goes and interviews the founder of um, Ashley Madison. Oh, <gasps> good one. Yeah. Is and the founder a female or a male? It's a couple. Gross. A married couple. Obviously swingers. They say they're not. They say they're they're not they're in a monogamous relationship. They're in a mo- okay. You know what? <laughs> I don't like that. You're in a monogamous relationship. Yes. But you are. Why don't we just have the Mormons run the weed stores? <laughs> That's hilarious. We're gonna have somebody in a monogamous relationship who says, "No, I'm not gonna have extramarital <laughs> affairs." Running a website, starting a website that encourages others to have extramarital affairs. Well, something they that just, they 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 would argue that it's just. How they, they define their relationship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm annoyed by that. I know. Obviously, I am too, but I have to, like, we have to have a conversation here. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I, I'm... You can't get past the Mormons running the head shop, can you? <laughs> <laughs> just I picture just them in their little example. bicycle helmets rolling joints. What bicycle helmets? Because the Mormons ride around on bicycles and they go door to door and they wear their bicycles and they... You don't know about this. They don't do this where I'm from. <laughs> yes, they do it everywhere. They And they bicycles. have... For sure, because I have friends who have gone, like, yes. They're not They're white shirts, and I'm telling you, when they go door-to-door in neighborhoods, they often ride around on bicycles. Well, that's just good thinking. Yeah, and they wear helmets, helmets, too. they practice safety. (laughs) Okay, listen. The guy from Ashley Madison, this was, she interviewed him before the scandal, okay? Oh, Right, so at that time, they were claiming... Everything is secure and that, you know, this is just an outlet for people. And sometimes they would, they argued it improves, it improves their relationship. And unfortunately, statistics do show that that it goes in one of two directions and it's like gets yeah. way better or you don't, what, or you just break sex up. life or their relationship in general. Cause that's, it, I don't care if it gets your sex life better. No, I think it, it create sometimes it'll recreate well and really it stems from the other person finding out and then realizing that what they have with who they are married to is better right but i think it's like that why go through that pain to get to yeah i mean that's kind of like a silver lining argument that which is not any (laughs) reason to go out to do those things. I knew somebody that was on Ashley Madison. That's like, oh, I'll be able to run faster if I get my legs amputated and have those artificial leg things put on. But I'll be like really fast <laughs> if I use those like, you know, legs because I hear those. You had me with the Mormon example. You lost me with the- That one works. <laughs> it does. <laughs> um, but I think that it's such a, 
it's a good example of blurred morality mm-hmm. is like oh if Oof. something it's like the means justify the ends right that's what they're saying but then the whole kid thing came out where they're they weren't secure well, and, and all the data was breached remember the entire everything that they were doing was built built on falsehoods anyway right they were all and then female out, bots they weren't even real women that's right so well, not some of them but mostly that, no you know then if that that kind of gets me thinking, though, that maybe what the men needed was female companionship in a way that they had lost it, which goes both ways. I mean, there there's probably something that both individuals are equally responsible for that moved them away from the dance that they were doing together. And now he needs to feel whatever again like a more of a man more of like i i don't know who knows but i can see how for well and for for a man and for oh, a, now like, she's on board i mean like I, but it's i don't ugh. <laughs> i almost like it better that they're bots than well, yeah. actual women on the other end so let's go to um another topic within the spectrum of morality because in behaving badly um, Eden talks about like sex, politics, and business, and it made me start thinking about um, like how you spend your money. I never even thought about that. That that I guess that is like, how you spend your mo. And what do you do when you have a lot of money, and how you kind of how- right allocate your assets? I guess is the way to say it. Yeah, because I think about like. Um, the life of Jesus and how, you know, uh-huh. he prescribed to his followers to sell everything you own yeah. and follow me. <gasps> and I don't see anybody doing that. No. You know, maybe like nuns or, you know, those, people. Those, what are they called? The friar who wear. Yeah. The ones who wear brown. Right. And what are they called? Yeah. There's a Benedict. It's not Benedictine there's, monks. There's it's, different kinds of monks. Yeah. It's a kind of monk that it, that prescribes to that. Right, and they don't have anything. You know, they take a vow of They use those, like, poverty. tassels to, as belts. Like, what about shoelaces? I'm going to post a those? picture that I have of... They were at the Louvre when I was there in Paris. Oh, wow. And I was like, Adam, get the camera ready. And I just... They were looking at some get picture, and, and I just went right next to them and, like, stood there and <laughs> tried to, to... I'm sure they didn't speak English, or maybe they did, mm-hmm. but... I just wanted the picture. Yeah, it's great. But yeah, there's different groups of religious sects and and clergy who believe in poverty as mm. a virtue. So, but oh. then obviously I study the prosperity yeah. gospel, which right. is the opposite. Yes. How are those two things coexisting in the world of religion? Right. Those are two very ideas that are that are in direct conflict. Explain. Well, I mean, that's why the interpretation of your sacred text is everything and why sort of absolutism Mm. is absurd Mm -hmm. because to act like you have a monopoly on how we should understand words is crazy. Anybody that's learned a second language Uh knows that words are not clear cut 
And if you've tried to translate a text, this is what you always hear about the Bible, like, oh, the Greek version of that word is such and such, and it it doesn't mean exactly this. It means uh, right. this very... And then the context of this. So words are fluid and, 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 and ambiguous, and so I just... I want to know, when you think about ethics or morality, yeah. if you were to say, how should I spend my money is it you know let the government handle taking care of the poor should individuals be responsible oh good question you know well and there's no right answer I just right wonder i know for for me personally when i'm at it this sounds very in line with what a religious maybe a religion would say about money or about your feelings towards money but when i'm at a place where my heart says you need to give right now is when I do. And it almost is like a little voice from within where I see somebody who I'm drawn to, or I see somebody where I'm just like, this person would benefit from, you know, whatever it is. But I also am, uh, you know, like I've been to enough, uh, socialist countries like, uh, Norway and Sweden to know that, I am more than willing to pay a little more in my taxes. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. You know what? Two. I have a theory, though. What? A little while ago for our um, book club, we read a book by Anu Part. The Can Norwegian Can... Theory of Everything? Yeah. Yeah. And What's her name? Anu? Partinen. Partinen. Okay. And... Um, you know, she lays out why these countries in Scandinavia have such a high quality of life and they yeah. don't let other people suffer. And if you need help, that everyone comes together and, and gladly does whatever is their duty to do so. And I think that what makes that possible mm -hmm. is their sameness. Oh, 100%. Well, yes. I will absolutely agree to that because that is the feeling that I got when I was there is that there wasn't an other group. Yeah. And that is very, yes, I totally agree. And we talked about that earlier about the bus and who, the train, who, and, and who are you going to save? Exactly. When the name is something different than yours. Oh my God. So when a country is all this yes. white people with blonde hair you have more sympathy and empathy for them and are willing to say, well, well, they just got bad yeah. breaks or their family just got sick or whatever it is. And so you're more willing to sacrifice some of your own money for that person than you would be if it's like, well, they probably aren't working hard enough or whatever. I will say that a lot of the times, like my time and my money, because I feel like the thing that's most valuable that I have, like money is a... Oh, what do they call it? Like first 
there, there are two ty- kinds of change. There's first order change and there's second order change. So first order change is when you do something. It's almost like putting a Band-Aid on it. It's the that old adage like you can feed a man or you could teach a man to fish, like give a man a fish or teach him sure. how to fish. It's the same idea. So second order change would be teaching him how to fish. And so a lot of like I really feel like giving up so giving of my time when it comes to helping those who I feel are, you know, maybe more in need or, or where I can give my time or I can volunteer or is in a way that most of that time, free time that I have, I do to people who are, or groups who are, um, like victims of their circumstance you know, where they are in domestic violence situations or their children who are uh, facing homelessness, things like that, where, so I think it's, I would probably, and this is speaking honestly, and I hate to be like this, but it would be much harder for me to give or be, um, what's the word? Uh, Charitable? Charitable, thank you, to somebody who say was struggling with addiction. Even though I know that sometimes well, that is also a product of somebody's environment, but I feel like it's so much personal choice rather than something like, you know, cancer. Can- yeah. Although, although bad life, yeah, depends on bad what cancer. I mean, I hate to be. I'm not. I don't. I don't want. I don't want to be like that. But I feel like there's this this little moral compass inside of me that no, I turns in one direction. It's right? important what you're saying because some people might cringe at that the admitting of that, but we as human beings all have those things where it's like, this is something I can forgive because I can relate to that. And this is something that I judge or that I deem less virtuous and I can't support. And I'm in no way saying that those individuals are less deserving. I'm talking about me, like when I'm trying to, you know, in my own head, this is all very my experience and me, you know, Everybody else's situation is going to be different. If you're a child who maybe was raised by parents who struggled with addiction and you recognize that there needs to be support for those individuals, you're probably going to be given in a different way. You know, it's so just reading about how the more work that we do with addicts, the more we learn of the ways that it's a brain problem rather than like a behavioral it's an illness. It's a disease. Yeah. And, and like that just doesn't make model. sense. Yeah. But I think we need to do a better job of explaining that so yeah. that it is more clear. Absolutely. There's a, um, a great Ted talk by Sam Harris, who I think you and I were just talking about Sam Harris. He is what they call one of the four horsemen of atheism. And I found out through a rabbit hole of internet weirdness that he is the son of Susan Harris, who created the Golden Girls. What? Oh my God! Yes. Yeah. I totally know who you're talking about. So it always says, you know, show created by yes Susan Harris, and I was like, who is this woman? I want to get her on the show. The I well, he's her son. I know, but that restaurant that they came out with in New York, I think he had a hand in that too. I don't think so. Oh, that would be real funny. No, he's just an atheist. Um, Oh no, it's B. Arthur's son. No, Rue McClanahan. Rue McClanahan. Sarah has had a lot of (laughs) rosé. Yeah, Rue McClanahan. but Sam Harris, he's made a huge career out of writing really good books. He has a podcast, he, and he has this TED Talk about um, 
kind of like the science of morality because a lot of people think of it as something separate from science mm. that it's not rooted in anything concrete and he argues that it is I in fact I would say maybe it is. Yeah. There's also one that um you know maybe we can include in our newsletter it's one of my favorites his name's um Robert Sapolsky and he is a biological anthropologist out of Berkeley, I believe. And he talks about what makes us human. What is it that separates us from the animals? He wrote a wonderful book called Zebras Don't Get Ulcers that talks about humans and stress. And um, another one called The Trouble with Testosterone. I recommend all of them. But uh, it's really interesting to see how in the animal kingdom there is a lot of overlap in morality. Like that animals do have, how he proves that fish have a tit for tat, show like revenge. And that I think plays into Well, like the, that, that's too. basically the concept of justice. Yeah. Right? Which what, is obviously about ethics and morality. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And how in, in beta fish you can watch justice like play out. It's so weird. And if it's that simple, like fish, I mean, for goodness sakes, that's almost one of the most simple neurological like makeups of a animal. Mm-hmm. And even they're displaying these very human-like behaviors that we things that we only associate with people. And I think it's pro- far more. Um, there's more to unpack than than just like right whenever and wrong. you're on challenges. Though, don't you oh. feel like morality is out the window? <laughs> Tell me why. Oh, my God. You know what's so weird? And we've talked about this before. Susie, you said it. You call it like backwards world Mm -hmm. where it's like the things that you used to like I I even, you know, I was very shy with my sexuality before and I felt like in some arenas that would be considered a very virtuous and more moral thing to kind of like be very. I don't know, to consider that private. private about that. Yeah. And on the challenge, it's the opposite. It's like, unless you're oversharing and talking about, you know, who, what, when, and where. Yeah. People are like, you're a fucking prude. <laughs> and you feel worse for, for sh- not, sh- like, it's weird. It's backwards. Yeah. What about I've you? always felt like that. And then in gameplay, <gasps> yes. right? So there's this idea of like, sometimes you'll see the, cast members sort of talking about what what is and isn't the right thing to do. So-and-so is here for the wrong uh-huh. reasons. Oh, I never even thought about that. And that's all implicitly about morality, but it's kind of silly because... I think that, mora- that those reasons were one of the reasons why Johnny made his decision to take all the money. Because he told me, he said that I see the life you have, and he he labeled it as one that I don't need any extra money. And he does. Right. So and that was and like, it, that's about justification uh, yes. and making your actions okay f- and permissible for, for you. you. Yes. And so like, you can the sleep at night. business of morale. That was his business of, yeah. you know. Well, changing the subject. Yeah. Oh, goodness. I need a <laughs> gladly, right? Yeah, gladly. Um, we have been kind of... You sending some ideas to our single lady friends lately. Yeah. And if you're out there and you don't have a special someone, then 
look no further than the single swag subscription box. Heck yeah. As a way to treat yourself. Who needs? There's nothing better than treating yourself. I don't even care if you're single. I don't either. I was just going to say, I'm like, <laughs> why are we limiting it? Because there, I love getting my single swag box. The the idea, though, is focusing on fun, fabulous, amazing women like the people that listen to this show. Um, so you can get these subscription boxes that feature full-size products. I've gotten really, really cute jewelry, candles, oh, the jewelry is so cute. makeup, bath and beauty, um, books, Really nice, fun surprises, and it's such a treat to get each month. And if you sign up now at singleswag.com and use code BRAINCANDY, you'll get a 20% discount on your first oh, that's a good order. Deal. It is a good deal. It's like the best offer that they have. So 20% is really, really good. And it'll make you feel... I love the surprise party at the mailbox. Yep, that's, that's what my I, favorite. <laughs> and I think these are great gifts for friends. That's true. I like, always think Sarah, yeah. will, if she gets something that she thinks she might not enjoy as much, mm-hmm. then she'll be like, oh my gosh, I know someone that will love this. And she'll yep. pass it along. So that's fun too. I sure do. That's... Uh, yep. And vice versa. Singleswag.com. Code brain candy for 20% off. Um, so... We, I interviewed Eden Collinsworth, who wrote this book, and it was a Skype interview. Sarah knows lately we've been struggling with Skype. So the audio went in and out. So I'm going to pick some bits and pieces that I think are really interesting and that you'll enjoy. I wish the full interview could be put up, but it was just like the, the gods were against us. Tell me again the book that she wrote that I know our she viewers are going to love. Behaving Badly, The New Morality in Politics, Sex, and Business by Eden Collinsworth. So welcome to the show, Eden Collinsworth. Behaving Badly, The New Morality in Politics, Sex, and Business. If you're watching the video, you can see the cover there. Um, thanks for coming and talking to me. I am having a love affair with your book. Oh, God. Well, you're quite welcome, and I'm very flattered. Thank, it, you. I, Thank you. I feel like maybe whenever you met with Margaret Atwood, I kind of feel like that about talking to you. I feel very intimidated, and I'm glad you're being so sweet and kind because oh. Oh. you're something yeah. special. I mean, uh, well, you're, I'm very flattered you think so. I have a, a fairly unconventional background. I don't know whether that makes me special, but I was very much hoping to to address what would frankly be thought of otherwise as a complicated issue and make it accessible for, for all of us. I don't have any, you know, frankly, I don't have any credentials. I'm not an ethicist or a social scientist, but I, I thought it was important to, you know, to, to try to at least open a dialogue. I don't, I can't claim to have any answers. Well, but that's what is so tremendous is that you met with so many different people with all different perspectives and you asked them such thoughtful, insightful questions. Mm -hmm. So I feel like you acted as a voice for all of us that you were trying to get to the bottom of it. Right. Yes, it was it was very much my own journey. And I, I think I used to be a book publisher and an editor. And I know that, frankly, the best stories are the ones that invite the reader in. And so I'm just as surprised, frankly, as the reader would be. And and, you know, I also, frankly, it allowed me to ask questions that I've always wanted to ask, some of which are fairly rude. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my favorite kind. I know. I know. <laughs> Did anybody get offended by anything you asked? 
Um, no, sometimes it was very disconcerting. So, for example, I sat with the editor of the Financial Times, who's, you know, completely brilliant, utterly, you know, fluent in several languages, you know, very much on top of, you know, his game. And um, I, my question to him was, you know, if I was a visitor from another planet, how would you explain money to me? And he, you know, even though, he, you know, here's this man who's dealt with interviews with presidents and prime ministers. And so <laughs> he was slightly, he was slightly bewildered. That, but actually, it was it was wonderful, because he then answered the question. But then it allowed me to consider, uh, you know, frankly, alternatives to his answer, because his answer was very direct. But the fact is that now people make money from money. And so the answer that we had even 15 years ago, or as recently as 10 years ago, is not necessarily accurate. It does not include this incredible technology that now allows people to invest um, based on algorithms, you know, and nothing is being produced, but money is being made from money. So one thing led to another with all of these interviews. And, you know, what I've learned long ago is that people's stories are far more remarkable than anything you could possibly make up. So yeah. Interesting. Well, and whenever, oftentimes when people would answer you, it would have, it would be a very direct answer, yes. but then it would sort of unravel into the complicated nature of what yes. you're trying to explore, which was so yes. fun as a reader. Yes, yes. Well, it's it's not an easy topic, but, you know, what makes it even more challenging now is that never in the history of the world have we been so interconnected. So there is an assumption that because of that, people will share your values. And what's very disconcerting is understanding um, that, quite honestly, even in your own country, um, as evidenced by the recent election here, Brexit in the UK, um, that people don't share your values and you're kind of stunned by it. Um, and so it was, you know, what the, the, the really the driving change in this has been the technology. Uh, regardless, the fact is that people behave the way people will behave. And typically they're embracing an ethical position or a morality that's occurred within their cultural silo and remains within their silo. And so much of what you talk about in the book with regards to technology is about the problem that it creates for empathy, it seems, and mm -hmm. compassion. Yes, yes. Where do you feel, how do you feel about that now? After well, I, the fact is the technology is going to hur continue to hurl ahead, regardless of whether or not you agree <laughs> right. or disagree. It's not ever going to somehow retreat. In fact, it's it's moving at such a velocity that what is left behind is the actual discussion of what the implications are. Yeah. But one of the people that I interviewed was this very uh, respected neuroscientist who, you know, has is known to focus on her research is to do with the frontal lobe of the brain. And the fact is that that evolved um, very rapidly within the last 500 years. So that part of the brain, in fact, houses the skill set 
it's it's a it's a it's a skill. It's not one isn't necessarily born with it to be empathetic, and and empathy requires an understanding and an appreciation of somebody else's perspective. And her point, and she wasn't suggesting that it was you, you, you become less moral, but you you your, your brain is very a very sensitive organism. It's constantly evolving, and if you know now uh, the average time that somebody is spending in front of a screen is nine hours a day. So, and that begins at a very early age. And, and she actually studies, uh, you know, the development of the brain, uh, you know, in infancy through wow. childhood. And the point is that, you know, and you see it, I mean, you, you know, when there's a baby in a stroller, but often it has some kind of screen in front of it, um, you know, to keep it occupied or, or, and the point is that her point was from a strictly empirical perspective, it had nothing to do with an opinion or a judgment, is that if you remove yourself from the interaction, the visceral interaction of, of you know, of facial expressions, uh, most especially the intonation of a voice, then you deplete or you, 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 you provide yourself less of an opportunity to, to manage that and develop that skill. So, hmm. um, for example, you know, now phones are actually more and more, they predict that within a relatively short period of time, phones will not be used so much to make phone calls, but to text. So that is yet another component of human interaction, which is now being, you know, removed. And so now you're down to, you know, words. And, mm-hmm. and it's not bad or good, but the point is that it does remove you from human interaction in a way that allows you to develop a, a, an empathetic, you know, perspective. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax the way car buying should be. Well, and you kind of explore how that distance created by texting, for example, um, mm-hmm. you know, allows people to say things that they wouldn't yes. say normally. And it kind of was within the Ashley Madison discussion yeah. about, yeah. you know, what people are willing to do when yeah. there's a bit of a gap between them and the other people involved. Your interview with the founder of Ashley Madison was quite entertaining (laughs) to me. Flower was for me too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, am I accurate in saying that you were not impressed with him as a human? No, actually, no. Well, you know, listen, we all have our moral parameters, and obviously, (laughs) I I wouldn't necessarily agree, or it's not even necessarily. I don't agree (laughs) with his his approach or his. Her, his view of, but the fact remains that, you know, if you look at America, I mean, he is based in Toronto, he's Canadian, and his is a worldwide organization that's regardless of, I mean, it was hacked, but regardless of that, it's still churning away as a business. Yeah. Um, the fact is that in America, you know, some, you know, I don't know, I think it's 20%, between 17 and 20% of men in a marriage have been unfaithful at some time, um, between, uh, I don't know, I think it's something 15% between 12 and 15% of women. And yet 
over 90 percent um, uh, believe that that's immoral. So yeah. the point is that there has always been a disconnect. You know, sex has always been the wild card of human behavior. <laughs> <laughs> right. Really, you know, and so, um, you know, you, you uh, and it depends upon where you are. So I have lived in, in France, and quite honestly, the understanding is that you don't bring your mistress home, you don't see her after or lover, you don't see him or her after a certain, you know, five o'clock, I guess is the cutoff point, because you have family. <laughs> and and in America, um, you know, a politician would be hobbled if he were or she was, you know, uh, had then had the disclosure of, you know, some sexual ex, 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 escapade outside of their, you know, his or her marriage. And with the with a French president, it's kind of ex- expected. I mean, no, no judgment is made. Right. However, what's really interesting is, I mean, and for, for those of of your your readers and or your audience, your your listeners and your we, we should explain that Ashley Madison is a site um, for design for married people who wish to have illicit affairs with with other people, That's they can right. be married or single. So, but the point is that, uh, it, uh, ironically, <laughs> it's not it, that the, the advertising that they run on buses are not allowed in in France because there's a Napoleonic code that you respect your partner, your your marital partner, and they find this disrespectful. So see, everything is relative. I interviewed someone recently who's a conservative Christian. My PhD is in religious studies, so I talked to a lot of these people. And he kept talking about this idea of moral relativism and lamenting the fact yes. that yes. there there is that, you know, yes. idea. What do you think, yes. given your your book about that concept? Yes. I think that well, he can be concerned about it, but yeah. it's happening with or without his approval, <laughs> and it's generational. So, so the point is that I was mm. brought up with certain moral absolutes, uh, and they were instilled in me by my parents, and they believe that. Mor- and perhaps the first thing we should do is define the word morality. So, morality is a personal set of beliefs, and ethics is quite. Uh, it can be quite honestly very different in that it's the expectations and the sanctions um, coming from a, a certain society. So, you know, I was brought up with a certain set of moral absolutes, as which is not unusual given my age. Um, my son, who's in his 20s, his late 20s, in fact, um, I consider him completely decent, but he is, his his morals have been shaped by the profound changes in his lifetime. A great deal of it has to do with being so interconnected. And so to some degree, he might be influenced by my own moral standards, but he is a far more flexible moral agent. Hmm. And, and and that's not unusual, uh, you know, in his within his age group. And so I look at the world, the landscape, the moral landscape, and I see very specific lines, demarcations. Uh, you know, for the most part, a younger generation is looking at, at various reference points. So they are influenced by social media. They're influenced sometimes by sports figures, by celebrities, by politicians, by authors, by musicians. And and theirs is a far more flexible version of morality. And he would call that moral relativism. But the fact is that it's the idea that it's not you know, it, it, you know, it's there's a lack of rigidity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's and so also it's a, a question of perspective. So if you, many people in my generation feel that Edward Snowden 
was immoral in what he did. If you ask somebody in their 20s, in fact, they they think that he's he was abs- morally responsible. He did absolutely the right thing, and he was courageous for having done it. So, it, you know, it really is a question of um, time and place. Well, and in addition to the genera- generational component, you spoke a lot about gender as something that changes one's, you know, moral code or ethics or whatever. And I thought that was really compelling, really well, interesting. I mean, we, we, we might get into trouble here, but because <laughs> it's very, it's difficult. I mean, what happens is that you, it's, you know, you, one tries to avoid sweeping generalizations, yeah. but that said, I've grown up surrounded with men, you know, in every conceivable sense. I was, you know, the a, a corporate executive in a, in a, you know, in a large corporation as, you know, one of two women. Yeah. Um, I was the chief of staff of a global think tank, and there were 92, you know, staff members reporting to me. They were all men. And so, and what you realize is that regardless, this was an international institute that had to do with security issues. And what you realize is that, Regardless of the the culture, in other words, I was dealing with a German ambassador, a, you know, Australian this, a UK this, a French that, and the men had absolutely male traits. Um, you know, often it's not that men and women come to a different conclusion, but many many times they get there a different way, and men have a tendency. I mean. You know, of of um, if you look at the all of the case studies at you know Harvard Business School, there are so many of of, of them that you know that are describing these failed um, endeavors, whether they're mergers or acquisitions, because you know the CEO wanted what he wanted, and it usually was a bigger corporation or more or something. And I, I think that women, um, uh, you know, want to to understand the story, you know, they ask far more questions. And as a result, um, if you take the correlation between the number of women on boards and senior managements and the number of time a company, the number of times a company is, has what is called compliance issues. That's a polite way of saying they've done something, you know, they've cheated, they've lied, they're whatever. (laughs) There is a definite correlation between the fact that there are women on boards and there are few fewer compliance issues. So, I, 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 you know, my sense is that women approach a situation, and again, this is, you know, it's dangerous because I'm speaking very generally, but they have a different perspective. And the companies and the societies, I think, and the families and the relationship, you know, they all do better when you're, when it's, you know, they or it is exposed to a diversified you know, perspective, diversified perspectives. But, you know, it's that's also a great challenge because people don't want to see that diversification. And uh, alas, that is the world these days. I'm glad that you included that stuff in the book, though, because if nothing else, it provides a great opportunity for dialogue about those differences mm-hmm. and if people disagree or not. And that's the fun of a book is when it is the beginning of a conversation. A dialogue. I think so. I think so. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Eden Collinsworth. If you want to grab it, her book is called Behaving Badly, The New Morality in Politics, Sex, and Business. See you next week. Bye.